welcome back to Studio 7500. This is Jamie Brown, and I'm here with my co-host, Greg Hull. And we have a special guest here with us today. Leonard Klein, otherwise known as Lenny, is with us. He's a 1973 alumnus of um, the School of Business. He uh, received an accounting degree um, back then. He is a CPA. And he is a par- partner at his accounting firm, Cooper, Moss, Resnick, Klein, and Co. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for being here. <laughs> You're welcome. So, do you want? So, the first. Do you want one, me to ask the question? No, no. no okay. <laughs> we always. You'll notice we have some banter too. Like we like to make fun of each other. Oh, that's great. So feel free to, to join fun. in. Yeah. Yeah I, I, um, yeah, I can't do that. But one, uh, one of the questions, you know. That I've always had is what was it? What was Woodbury like back yeah, then? Yeah. Just tell us the yeah. warts and all. We yeah, want to yeah, know it sure. all. Sure. Well, so Woodbury Woodbury was a uh, four four story building on Wilshire and Bixel. Um, and I had a wonderful time there. I just gotten out of the military. I was going to school and did the GI Bill, and um, I met some f- lifelong friends there. And uh, the fourth floor was designated toward the design and fashion people, and the second and third floor with the classrooms. And then on the first floor, there may have been one or two classrooms, and that was it. And um, it was run by a proprietorship, Dora Dora and Floyd Kirby. They would come to uh, work every day in a taxi. Uh, Very (laughs) weird. (laughs) And um, there was a lot of changes going on. I mean, a lot of ex-military guys and gals were were in school, and we were trying to grow our hair long because we couldn't grow it in the military. And uh, they would protest if if we tried to grow a beard. They didn't want any, any. They didn't like facial hair. You know, they had to live with it. Um, so socially, it, it, for me, it was a, an introduction back in, into the world, the real world. I went to school. I was 23 when I was a freshman, so I was a little bit older. But mm-hmm. so were the other GIs, the ex-GIs were going to school. And um, I really enjoyed the place. I, first of all, I felt like the small classrooms were for me. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could—my children wouldn't— one, son graduated UCLA and one son graduated Santa Cruz. So clearly they would sit in rooms with 125 right. kids and they would have a, a TA teaching. I mean, I just couldn't, I couldn't do it. So the small environment was, I was not a great, I was a terrible high school student, not even a great high school student. I was terrible. <laughs> I was not college material. I was doing things that I shouldn't have been doing in high school and in the mid sixties. And so therefore I was headed nowhere. And so for Woodbank to accept me, I was so excited. And I really wanted to hunker down and, and, and get a good education. And um, I was telling people in the classroom up above that I, I took um, bonehead English. They made me take bonehead English because <laughs> I must have taken some kind of an entrance examination and didn't excel in it. But I did excel at school. I, I, I really got very good grades at Woodbury. Um, so, so you sort of found yourself. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, let me just back up a little bit. Can you tell us, so where are you from? Where, uh, tell us, yeah, sure. give us the elevator pitch on yeah, where yeah, you yeah. grew up. So I'm from Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York. And um, I was, um, like I said, a terrible high school student. I got in trouble with the police and I just didn't do good things in high school. And I left and joined, the, I wasn't going to college. So I left and joined the military in 1966. I joined the Air Force. And I got out in 1970. I was stationed in Michigan, and my last year was in Southeast Asia in, in Thailand. Uh, so I did a lot of growing up there, and, and that's what I really needed to do. I needed to get away from home, needed to grow up, and needed people to yell at me and not, not coddle me. You know? And it was, a, it was a good environment. So I was ready for college. 
when I got out. I knew exactly what I wanted to do, and that was to go to college. So that the same, that's true then that the military sh- shapes you up. Sometimes you know, it does. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a kid like me. I never really made my own bed to speak of. I mean, if I left it unmade, I didn't get yelled at. Mm. Try doing that in the military, you know? Right. How, how well, did you, you, you wanted to get help then because yeah, exactly. then, you're right? Reaching, in a way, you're, you're reaching. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, okay, no go ahead. Sorry. How did you end up in L.A.? Uh, that's a good question. I, I had a, uh, a cousin that lived in the San Francisco area, and he was a cousin of my mother, so he was an older man. And I won this Airman of the, the Month Award for a bunch of other people, and we were flown out to um, Travis Air Force Base north of San Francisco. And my mom said, give, give your cousin a call. I gave him a call. He picked me up. I, he, has, he had children my age. I was, it was during the Haight-Ashbury days of San Francisco. I was enamored. I just couldn't believe it. And I said, I got to move here. And he said, don't. Move to Los Angeles because the job market is better down there. Back in like 1968, 69, 70, the job market was better here than it was in, in San Francisco. And so I listened to him. It was like, go west, young man. You know, like Carus uh-huh. Greeley. It was exactly like that. So I came home and I packed my bags and I w- was accepted to Woodbury while I was um, overseas. Mm-hmm. And they said, you know, you start in September of whatever, I think it was 1970. And um, I went ahead and, and, and moved out here in August and started Woodbury in September. I lived in the Mid-Wilshire area, I had a, got a part-time job. And I was going to school under the GI Bill, and I would get a check each month, and I'd bring it over to Woodbury. <laughs> How did you find Woodbury? Well, I, I, I investigated colleges in the Los Angeles area. And so, you know, there's SC and, and Northridge and UCL, UCLA. And, and I chose Woodbury because I, don't know, I didn't know that I could live in the—I couldn't afford some of the other schools. But I also felt like the, um, the small environment classroom was really where I would excel. I knew that. I knew I couldn't sit in like 125 student. You know, it's interesting because it's still probably That's our right. biggest selling point. It is amazing. I was I spoke to 17 students today. I mean, less than the classrooms sometimes would have you know 20, 25. Yeah. Tell us about that real quick. Who what was the class? Well, the the classes that that in my mind, I was telling Tim uh, Tim about this earlier. The one that sticks out, beside of course having a marvelous accounting professor by the name of George Storms, who everybody my age that graduated Woodbury speaks of fondly of George. He was a motivational guy, and he uh, he just really was a terrific fellow. He could relate to young people, and, and, and uh, we loved him. But there was also, uh, uh, culturally, I learned, I had a music class. I had to take a music appreciation course that was required. And we had a woman that we called the music lady. I don't remember her name, but I learned about classical music, about Gershwin, uh, opera, Stuff I could care less about at that time. And now, to this day, I still think about it. I still listen to classical music. Not every day, <laughs> but I do listen to it. Um, I, I, I adore, uh, you know, Itzhak Perlman. I listen to a lot of that. I listen. I, there are a handful of operas I really like. Uh, so this music appreciation course sophisticated me a little bit. Mm. Right. Because there you know, just to be an accountant and do books and, and look at a computer. And in those days, we didn't have the computer. You needed to be a little bit more cultured. Right. And I got cultured through Woodbury. Contrary, you know, what you would think is just, you know, just a business, business, business. But it wasn't that way at all. And I had a, a literature teacher. I take a literature class who, who, who made us read Walden. But he would read Walden to us, too. Mm. So in case we didn't read the night before, he would read sections of it. Um, 
you know, Tolstoy, but short stories by Tolstoy, not War and Peace. So uh, literature, uh, uh, culturally, beside getting the regular business education, I got a little bit of a cultural education here, which really means a lot to me and means a lot to me today. How, um, you mentioned that at the time, the sort of the design majors yeah, right. were like on a different floor. Right. At, at the time you were there in the early 70s, right. were... How so now design is sort of a big part of what we do, along with business right. and, and all of that. But how, how big of a part of Woodbury was it at the time? I think it was. I think it, it, there was no mingling. That was mm-hmm. the thing. You didn't mingle with the design students. They didn't mingle with They you. had beards. Yeah, right. <laughs> they had beards, exactly. <laughs> um, they wore comfortable shoes. You know, they just wore different. Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I don't want to give one of any names, but there was a Playboy bunny. That was going to now we're talking. To, that was going to, to the, was in the design school, huh. and uh, she had been a you know like sixty seven or sixty eight, and I don't know she wasn't Playboy Bunny of the Year, but she was Playboy Bunny, and she's famous. And sometimes one of the guys would go, "I saw her today." <laughs> so so they were you know always very attractive and 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 uh, different than than business most of the business majors with guys you know yeah. back then. Now of course the CPA profession is. I think virtually 50-50, if not more women than men. Wow. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that was the design school was big, but they didn't, we didn't mingle. Mm. You know, we stayed among ourselves and they stayed among themselves. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So after graduating, tell us where your career took you. After I graduated, I, I went the, the small accounting firm route, but I would recommend to anybody, and I recommend it to the students I spoke to today, if you can get a job with a large accounting firm, for a couple of years, it's wonderful on your resume. They work you down, but they work you hard, but you really have a great background for the large county firm. So I went, and, and small county firms hit or miss. So I was fortunate to get a job with a small accounting firm and um, in Hollywood. I had a great mentor for a couple of years, had a lot of patience with me, and, uh, and you needed to have a lot of patience with me. And I caught on quickly, but I still hadn't passed the CPA exam because mm. I was goofing around a little bit too much. I passed three parts coming out of Woodbury, and then I couldn't get that fourth part. Well, in those days, there were four parts in the exam. So this, these two, there were two partners. One of them really mentored me well. And then I moved on, got another job with another uh, accounting firm. And um, then I passed the exam. I passed the exam. <laughs> And I decided to go in business for myself. So I worked for a couple of small accounting firms. I had a great time and learned a lot about the record industry back then because I was working for a firm that was a business management firm. We did record audits, audits for the Mamas and the Poppers and Jackson Brown and groups like that. Mm-hmm. We go back to New, went back to New York City, to Secaucus, New Jersey, to inventory the um, was it the CDs? I don't even know, eight tracks or whatever it was at the right. time. Yeah. And we had a great time back there. They put us up at hotels. It was great. Yeah. Huh. So it was cool. So I had a good background, and I, went, I decided to go into business for myself. And I ended up working for other CPA firms that needed extra help. They were mm. short people, so mm. they would pay me by the hour. And some CPA firms would actually give me business because they weren't interested. It was a small account, mm-hmm. and I, they couldn't afford to the account. I could because it was just me. And that's how I literally started my practice, working for other friends of mine that were CPAs that threw me business here and there. Can you talk about how uh, Jamie and I are very knowledgeable, but I don't know if we know anything about uh, accounting. <laughs> <laughs> but can you, can you um, tell me a little bit about how the accounting business or industry has changed since you first began to how it is now? I spoke to the kids about this, and I made a note to myself. 
When I got into an accounting, an accounting firm was forbidden to advertise. Hmm. Nobody could. It was just you weren't allowed to do it. And to the point that if you put the CPA firm's name in the phone book, you couldn't do it with block letters to set you off differently. That's how structured the CPA profession was. So it was very conservative. It was, um, you were above it all. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, you were supposed to be that independent person. But we know that when we're not preparing financial statements and we do taxes, we're an advocate for our client. We're not mm -hmm. independent. We're advocate, advocates for our client. So somewhere along the line, again, I was a working bee at the time, and the somebody had enough nerve to start advertising, and then they went through a lawsuit period, and they won, and CPAs were allowed to advertise. And of course, today with the web, you know, right. we, we can't, you can't, you have to have a website, or you, 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 you're done. Mm -hmm. So that's what the profession was like. It was very buttoned up. Huh. I had a friend of mine that worked for Price Waterhouse in New York in the mid-60s. He had to wear a hat. Really? I was telling, yeah, <laughs> I was telling somebody about that. White shirt, tie, yeah. and a hat. Can you believe that? Uh, yeah. 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 That was the mid-60s. <laughs> it's an old movie. Uh, do, um, do you mind, or you can say no if you don't want to, but do you mind talking about your experience in the military? Oh, not at all. I had a very easy period in the military. I was not... Uh, I was in the Air Force, not the Army or the Marine Corps. Um, I worked on Air Force bases in the United States that were I, I mostly at clerical jobs. And then you did end up in. So I worked, end up in Southeast Asia during the, the last year. Yeah, and from nineteen yeah. uh, from May of nineteen sixty nine to May of nineteen seventy. So the height of the Vietnam War. So when you were. I guess what I'm driving at is you were in the military during Vietnam. Were you concerned about being sent there? Like, yeah. how, how did, yeah, what yeah. was your yeah. thought process? Well, I, I had known about, about the bases in Vietnam, the Air Force bases, because mm -hmm. from just, I remember I went over there after three years in the military, so I was experienced to know that if you went to Da Nang, you were, weren't allowed off the base. Mm -hmm. If you went to, Sa well, Saigon, it closed up after the Tet Offensive. So when you went to Vietnam, and if you were stuck on an Air Force base, you'd be there the whole year. You couldn't get off the base right. unless you got some R&R. And the bases were generally safe. They would be attacked, but, but they attacked mostly from mortars and mm -hmm. not from you know going over the fence, because the bases were all guarded by the Marine Corps or mm -hmm. the Army. So, yeah, I was concerned. Yeah, I was concerned I might get over to Vietnam, and I was fortunate enough to get an assignment to Thailand. Mm. And Thailand was different. Thailand mm. was still, was really nice, and it wasn't like Vietnam. Uh, you didn't, I didn't have to worry too much about, about what was gonna happen. Right. The base, the from people in the town I lived in were friendly. Uh, I loved the Thai people. I learned how to speak conversationally to get by. Um, I had a lot of. I still have a lot of affinity for Thailand. I look forward to getting back there one day. I'm a big fan of Thai food. Yeah, way. yeah. <laughs> and 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 we. I, I learned how to eat Thai food over there too. I learned how to eat with chopsticks. Mm -hmm. And um, so yeah, the, the, it was. I had it easy. I worked in an air conditioned office, and mm. um, I didn't have to work out in, in the flight line. There were guys guys on the flight line, and we did have age, apparently found out that Agent Orange was around, used as a defoilant on our base. But the people who worked on the flight line right near the fence were affected by it. I, on Facebook, I'm on a website. Uh, I'm, I'm friends with uh, people from my base from 50 years ago, mm. wow. and guys that are suffering today. And, oh, but wow. they're getting. There, some of them are getting. Um, remuneration from the government, some are not. It's, it's quite a fight about Thailand because till the government acknowledged that they did lay right. Agent Orange down yeah. in Thailand, it was it, it, it's, it took a while. Fortunately, I whatever ailments I have today are not a result of Agent Orange. They're just a result of getting to be an old guy <laughs> uh, or the genetic. 
Yeah. You know, I worked in an air-conditioned office. I had it very easy over there. Yeah. We worked hard. You had to work seven days a week, you know. Did you lose any friends, sir? Uh, no, I lost no friends in oh. Vietnam that I can think of. No. I mean, I, I don't know. Good. Yeah. Or relatives or anything like that. I've been to the wall, you know. It's an emotional period. Yeah. Know? Definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so you were able to use the GI Bill for your time at, at Woodbury. You talked, we've talked, um, you know, uh, Tim and I actually talked to, a, to an older alum, World War II generation. There's still a few of them left. <laughs> um, and he talked about Woodbury and the post-World War period being filled with GIs mm-hmm. who came home. Mm-hmm. Was it similar during yeah. your period? I would say it was filled, but there were, there were enough of us. And um, we even had a fraternity called XGI. Get it? And uh, <laughs> and so we had a, a little fraternity, and there was guys that lived at a house in the Mid-Wilshire area that became kind of our hangout. Uh, I didn't live there, but, but I hung out there. And... Um, you know, there's a special affinity among military guys. You know, we all served, whether it was the Navy or it was the Marine Corps or the Air Force or the Army Coast Guard. There's always that special kind of bond, bonding that goes on. So that was cool. Yeah. But I would say it was inundated, but we had we had guys there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you uh, keep in touch with any of your uh, classmates? From Woodbury? Uh-huh. Absolutely. Oh, I have good. two of the dearest friends um, in the world are guys I met at Woodbury. Fantastic. Yeah, one lives up in, in Oregon. He lives in Florence, Oregon. And uh, my wife and I go up there every year to spend Thanksgiving with him and his family. Oh, wonderful. Oh, that's great. And the other buddy of mine uh, is in Washington, D.C. He ended up working for the Reagan administration, decided to stay there. Huh. And um, so very dear friends, the closest yeah. friends I have. Now, have you been when have you been to campus before here in Burbank? First time. Wow. Today oh blew my, my mind. It's unbelievable. Oh, wow. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. I'm so thrilled that this is happening to, the, to my alma mater. When these guys come out, I want to take them here. Oh, that's. Oh, yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You, well, you know who to call, Tim. <laughs> so let's, I guess, jump forward now. Um, well, you had mentioned a couple of times when you, you talk to the students, you talk to the kids. So um, our listeners need to know that you were invited to campus to take a tour and to speak to an accounting class. Is that correct? Yeah. OK. And so what what course was that? Do you know? Tim, do you, it, it was it was not an accounting course. Per, it was an accounting course, but it was beginning accounting. Yeah. Okay. It was kind of I wouldn't call it bonehead accounting, but <laughs> basic, basic, basic. yeah, basic accounting class. Okay. So they weren't declared accounting majors, mm. and it was a tough crowd. I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, there were 17 kids, and um, I was trying to talk to them about what I did, and I thought the thing that would interest them most. At, Spontaneously was hey I do we do a lot of business management in my firm, so we have entertainers and mostly behind the scenes directors and producers and writers, and there's a fun part to that job as opposed to just you know checking boxes and doing tax returns which we do also, so I tried to talk to him about that and how interesting it was and I was like it is a really interesting part of my job and I like it, I'm also at the end of my career not the beginning of my career my partners I'm in a situation now where I'll be purchase my partners will be purchasing purchasing the my part of the practice over the next three or four years. Um, and so I'm kind of, you know, on my way out. But you have to be careful because I have a, a clients that depend upon me and how that transition occurs. And it's, it's really important. Um, so I spoke to him about the business management aspect. I talked to him about taxes. I talked to him about how much money they could earn, how much money they could earn coming out of school as accounting majors, I think. 
I, I told them what I thought was the starting price of uh, starting salary for a, C, for a young kid coming out of school, not a CPA yet. And I asked if they thought that was an attractive salary, and they said, yeah, it was. What, what is it? About 60 grand. Okay. Yeah. That is attractive. Yeah. Coming right out of school. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah 55, 60 grand. Mm. Yeah. yeah, plus overtime in some places. Um, so, yeah. I mean, but you work hard for it. I mean, they during tax season now, we'd be working on Saturdays, stunning mm-hmm. this Saturday. Yeah. And we put in our time. Yeah. And then, so then they have to get their, CP, their um, license. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I th- it's important to get your license because you're not going to go anywhere in the profession unless you get your license. Right. And when do you recommend they get their license? I, I, I recommended that they take the test, the exam, right, as soon as they can after school. Mm-hmm. Because you're in study mode. You start, yeah. you start goofing off for a couple of years, you're not going to hunker down like you did while you were in school because you're used to studying, mm-hmm. used to cramming, used to staying up. And, right. mm-hmm. and I, I'm an easily distracted guy. <laughs> so I, again, I passed three parts, but then that fourth part, I was tough because I'm easily distracted. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you had mentioned that you started your own thing, your own practice. Yeah, and 79, then, yeah. And then, then you partnered up with... Right, okay, right. So I partnered, I partnered up. Um, with someone who ended up leaving town. And then I merged 20 years ago with the firm I'm with. So in 1979, I went to what we call CMRK, Cooper Moss, Resident mm-hmm. Klein. Mm-hmm. And at that point, that's where I've been. So I became the managing partner. And uh, now we have a someone else who's, I stepped, January 1st, I stepped away. We have a new managing partner. Would you say that's a typical um, track that a lot of accountants no, take? I would say it's tri- very yeah. typical, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, very typical to do that. Merges are very important in our profession, but you have to have um, you have to have a, a kind of uh, familiarity with everybody. There's a culture. Every firm right. has its own culture, and if you're you're coming from a different culture, you, you know, that firm is it's never going to work out. Right. So it has to have a culture where, where it works out. Yeah. So you're entering your third act now. Yeah. There you so, go. So yeah. so what are you going to do? Well, somebody, one comedian said there's, there's a b- obesity and then there's death. And that's it. <laughs> no, I have, um, I, I intend to stay close to the profession. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't think they're going to want to completely get rid of me. Uh, but mm-hmm. I also would like to teach. And I spoke to mm-hmm. Tim about teaching. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something I've always had an affinity for. Maybe here at Woodbury. Oh, I, I would prefer here at Woodbury, yeah. Uh-huh. But I could, I, again, the technology of the profession is for the younger people. In my in my. Uh, firm, there are so many spreadsheet kids that mm. just, they kill the spread. I couldn't teach spreadsheet again, <laughs> but I could teach taxation. You right. know? So there you go. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of technology, how, how has the technology changed over the years? Over, over the, yeah. Okay. So um, we talked about this too, is that we're, uh, we're a paperless firm. It took us a while to become paperless, but you took a couple of years. We don't have any papers. Mm. Everything is put into a folder, into a client folder and brought down. Um, most tax returns now, most, not all, are uh, sent by secure email to the client. Mm-hmm. Some clients still want a paper. They want to hold on to a piece of paper. They want a, a, a hard copy, we call it, the tax return. And we try to accommodate them. But our office, you know, we're in the cloud. We do the things that we're supposed to be doing. Um, there are still some firms that are slow to, to do this, where you still have the files, you know, in the old days you had a file and if you couldn't find the file, you screamed and you looked in everybody's (laughs) office, who's got the Kaufman file. 
And then, you know, you'd find it on some partner's desk who was on vacation. Yeah, it was Johnson's fault. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. It was Johnson's fault. So it's changed a lot. Now, if you can't find the folder, then you, know, you call the office manager. Right. She'll find it's it. Online. Do you ever have any issues with, um, or, or do you fear security issues? Yeah, that's a big fear in our profession, huge. Yeah. And we do everything we can. I was telling the kids that if I walk away from my desk, my computer shuts down in a half an hour. Um, if I'm on the computer and I've got certain programs open, like the tax programs, they'll shut down. If I'm not using the tax programs and within an hour, they'll warn me. They'll say I have five more minutes and I can just press a button. Mm-hmm. But if I go into a meeting in the office, I come out an hour and 10 minutes later, all the tax programs are shut down. Mm-hmm. And, and some of the programs take two passwords to open. Yeah. So the answer to your question is, yeah, we're in absolute fear. Could you imagine the letter you'd have to send to your clients that, gee, we were breached? And who knows? I mean, the sophistication of the the bad guys out there. Mm -hmm. So we do the best we can. Uh, and just like every other firm, I'm sure, is doing it. We have an IT, an outside IT firm that charges us so much a month. Um, And then we do everything we can to keep everything secure. Now, it's tax season. Right. And, and I'm of, goofing off. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that, you know, we always like to pick the brains of our sure. guests. Sure. Oh, yeah. And, you know, um, and you also find out, perhaps, as Jamie always likes to point out, that I take I take 20 minutes to ask a question. He, like, so he loves I to talk. This guy talks anyway, so much. One of the things <laughs> I'm curious about is there are so many changes to tax law right. constantly. And we're actually, you know, there's a lot of stories out there now, and I'm sure you deal with different types of clients, like higher-end clients, but how a lot of individuals are now getting a shock because normally they get some kind of return and they're not getting it because, you know, uh, the, the, any, the... Do you want me to, fill I, I was me to help you? <laughs> I was going to say something derogatory about the uh, tax cut, but... Um, yeah, it doesn't offend me. You go ahead. <laughs> it's fine. But, um, but how do you... What do you do... Mm-hmm. Uh, as a CPA to try to, I mean, it's just, is it just hard work to keep up with all that stuff or yeah. how are you doing? So it? the law changed. And, and um, I, I told uh, people that when the law changes, whenever there's a significant change in the law, a lot of people retire. They go, you yeah, know, man. guys my age go, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah. But, and then there's the other side of it, which is the joke side, which is, hey, this is the accountant's full employment act, <laughs> right. right? If they don't change the law, then it's just that boring stuff again. So they changed the law recently in, in, in one particular code section, which everybody's in my profession knows. It's called 199A. It's complicated. It's, we've been going to seminars. It's constantly going to seminars, continuing to try to conceptualize and understand the, that particular end of the code. So what's happening is, I think you've read in the paper, that... In the first week, the IRS processed returns. There was an 8% decline Mm -hmm. in refunds from the prior year. So the theory being that, you know, the government got to them and they're not getting their refunds. It has a lot to do with the withholding tables. These are people Mm -hmm. that have W-2s. They don't, not in business for themselves. And the withholding tables were not really good. We all knew Mm -hmm. that. So their refunds have now declined. But people that are in business for themselves have a great, great opportunity to utilize this particular section of the code I just mentioned to you to save themselves some money. And in doing tax projections, which we do a lot of back in November and December for our well-to-do clients, you can see where they're, um, they're saving money. Given uh, the amount of money they earned in 2017 versus 2018, if they're self-employed people, 
their taxes have been lowered mm. as a result of this code section. And also remember that the maximum tax rate now is thirty is thirty seven percent down from thirty nine percent, two percent savings. California hasn't conformed to all the federal. That becomes a complexity. And California is mm. the highest rate tax state in the nation. Thirteen percent is the highest rate. So, mm. yeah, the answer to your question is the refunds have been so far disappointing. My other question is. How is your relationship with the IRS? Right, right. I, I spoke about that today to the kids, too, because the, the, the teacher up there that spoke was is a former IRS agent. Oh, yeah. So we have a collegial, we start with a collegial viewpoint toward the IRS. We try not to be acrimonious. Uh, clients get audited, but not a lot of clients get audited. You know, it's 1% of the population that gets audited, so maybe 1% of your clients get audited. Usually they're auditing for a reason. They're not doing just, you know, because they want to confirm everything, but there might be a transaction that looks suspicious to them or goofy. Sometimes it is, and sometimes they can't help it, but it's a, a true transaction. So we start with the collegial viewpoint. Usually it works great because that's how they want it. Um, so we try not to be too, not to be hostile, but we defend our clients because, again, we're advocates of our clients. So, again, collegiality is, is an important—we we, we stress that in the firm. And also because we're, we try to educate our audience— what, how does an audit work? So you're sure. there. So the IRS is on one side of the table. Right. You're on the other <laughs> nah, side. Nah, it's not like that. <laughs> yeah. That's my, so, you're yeah, ruining right. my vision. I know, killing, or they call, you have to go down with a bunch of papers. Yeah. Um, but we do know that an audit takes at least 10 years. There our, you go. Our president, uh, <laughs> we're still waiting for his, his tax. His tax returns are under audit. Anyway, sorry. So no, here you go. Um, if it's an individual return, the individual gets a letter from the Internal Revenue Service and says, please come down on this such and such day to Glendale, California office because we want to take a look at your charitable contributions. Mm -hmm. So the client will get in touch with us. We'll have the client sign a power of attorney form. We'll get in touch with the agent. And we'll tell the agent, hey, can we do this by mail? And the agent says, of course, because the agent doesn't want us wasting time. And we will send the agent all the documentation the agent is asking for with regard to the charitable contributions I'm bringing up in my example. We'll know before we send it if we're good or we're not. Because the client, we don't ask the client for documentation. When the client says, I gave $18,000 know, to, to, to my church, we just trust them. Yeah. You know? mm. But they'll come up with the documentation. And if the documentation is good, we send it to the agent. The agent contacts us and sends us a letter and says, you know, no change, end of audit. Okay. And if they don't? If they don't, <laughs> right. If it's something different than charitable contributions or it's something that can go both ways, like an entertainment deduction, then you start to get into this give and take argument. And you, you, have, the, you have the IRS code. We do. We know it. And we know what we're doing. Sometimes the agents don't know what they're doing. Again, we try to educate them if we can. And sometimes they're educated. If you go to the appellate level, you're dealing with people that are really educated in the code. And if you go to the... Right. If you lose the audit, you can go to appeals, is what I'm trying to say. Do you want to go to appeals? Do you have the documentation to prove it? If it's worth it, you go to appeals. Generally, don't. it's settled at the audit level, generally. That's an individual. A business, the agent wants to come out to the business. He wants to look at the business. Does the business exist? So we'll come out. We'll meet the agent out there. The client never has to see the the agent. The agent will ask for certain documentation about the business, and we go from there. Those things take time. Those businesses that, you know, a steel company or a software company, it's gonna, the audit's going to go on for months. What, do, have they found something? We can tell if they're on they're to something that we're not even, we don't even know. Mm -hmm. Clients can cheat. We'd have no idea. Right. Yeah. Is there like a negotiation that happens then if they find something? Are you trying right. to... 
negotiate on behalf of a client? Or? You're trying to negotiate using the code. Okay. So you have to use, they're, they're, you use the code. You say, hey, according to the code section, here's what occurred. And we send them a code section. Looks like we did it the right way. You know, please adjust your records accordingly. A guy might come back and say, well, we don't see it that way. So it's a give and take. Mm. Um, at some point, something's got to give. Generally, if you know, we think that the client is right, we'll stand by the client. But if the client's wrong, it's not worth fighting for. By the way, after they finish the audit and after they assess the taxation, they have to add interest, which is statutory. They have to add that. And they'll add a 20% accuracy-related penalty. So mm -hmm. when the client says to you, oh, I don't care. I'll lose that in the audit. I'll pay the tax. You also have to pay a penalty. Mm -hmm. right. It's called a 20% accuracy. We warn them about that. Then if they're really, really bad, there's a 40% penalty for dis intentional disregard of rules or regula regulations, which I've never seen imposed. Well, so, you know. so not to get too into the weeds here. Uh, you're, you're, in, you're, being like, yeah. you're being audited. Yeah, no, yeah. No, no. He, he, he's no, no. thinking about taxes. No, what's interesting... <laughs> <laughs> so do you have clients who say, I know I'm going to be audited for this, but I don't care? Is that we, I, we might not do their return if they said uh, that. No, so in other no, words, he, if a client said to me, you know what, I'm renting a room out in my house and I'm charging $1,000 a month, but I don't want to report it. I'm now a party to that. Right, right. <laughs> so I have to say, you know what, with all due respect, if you yeah. don't report it, I can't prepare your tax return. There's a misunderstanding that we have privileged communication mm -hmm. with our clients. We do not. We're not lawyers. Mm -hmm. There's certain privileges we have, not to get esoteric, but that, telling me that is, right. I can't do the tax return at that point, I, unless you declare the $1,000 a month in rent. Mm. I, lately, I've been hearing all these commercials on the radio, yeah. and I, I just don't understand. Like, right. they'll say, oh, so-and-so owed the IRS $150,000, right, right. call blah, 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 blah. Right, and right, right. Well, how does that Jamie, that's a scam. Yeah. No, yeah. Not, well, <laughs> it's I, a scam. But, no, but they're like saying yeah. they can like negotiate and... Does, right, right. So there are, there, are, there are people that specialize in collections. So if we have a client that's been sent to collections, they didn't pay their taxes, and they're being... Well, not an audit, they just didn't pay it. And their IRS is now down their throats. We have a, a lawyer that we send them to is an expert on collections and can slow the process down a little bit for them. The people that advertise, you're taking your chances. Some are, some are validly good and some are not. You just have to, you just don't know. Um, I owed the IRS $200,000 and, and I only had to pay him 20000 Well, yeah. if the IRS feels they're not going to collect the 200000 ever, they'll just take the 20. They'll take the 20. But if you're on your, you'd have to be on your deathbed right. and you have, you know, and they can't take it from your relatives, but they can't take it from your estate. They right. Can, you know, um, so, so you have to be careful. It depends what kind of tax. If, if it's income tax, yeah, you, you can negotiate if, if there's a reason to go, but if a guy just does just wants you to go in there and stall him off for a, you know, you don't know, you don't know. But yeah. people that are illegitimately in collections, we send we don't do collection work. We send it to an attorney that we know it does a good job. The lesson I'm hearing is just pay your taxes, well, everyone. Yeah. We, all, we all know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, the other piece of what you do, I'm sure, is advice, right? Like right, so, you right. Know, help, help prepare. Like if someone says, um, you know, I'm going to sell like a hundred thousand dollars worth of. Right. of stock or whatever, and you say, well, you're going to get hit right. big time with, right. you know. Yeah, like so, so we do that for them. That, that's part of doing tax projection. For our wealthier clients, we do tax projection. He doesn't know if he should sell the building this year or next year. Mm -hmm. And what would happen if I sold it this year? How much would I have to pay? Mm -hmm. and what would happen if I sold it when the tax rate goes down next year? Mm -hmm. yeah, how much am I going to have to pay? Yeah, those are things that are real and, that, and they work. Um, you also have to always worry about the state of California. 
So you're audited by the IRS and you have this settlement, you pay them, you have to notify, you're required to notify the state of California. If you don't notify the state of California, the statute of California never expires, so they can send you a letter five years from now. So whenever the client is audited and loses, we always say we're going to file an amended tax return for California, and the guy thinks you're out of your mind. But you want to do it and you want to pay the tax because it's... Because they know. Yeah, well, they they will know at one time. They will always find you. They communicate with each other. Yeah, yeah. That's the one... I don't know now. Is the federal? There's a lot of fighting going on right now. Yeah, but the the, the, I, the state of California will find out from the IRS right. what's going on eventually. You're better off notifying the state, tell them about the audit, pay the tax, and pay the interest. You don't have to pay a penalty. So we don't have too much time left. So I want to get to this question, um, and the time goes fast because it it's fun, I'm isn't it? Yeah. Um, I we, thought I had nothing to talk about. Well, we <laughs> you know we like to talk to prospective students here and and um you know so if you're let's imagine you're talking to yourself at 17 and you know you don't you don't want me at 17 (laughs) (laughs) but i hear you (laughs) and you're what would you say to a prospective accounting student or someone who wasn't sure sure, who was like should i go into accounting maybe i will like it i don't know what what would you say to that person yeah i would say it's a profession it's an honorable profession that i've been able to support my family, send my children to college, uh, and put have money put aside for my retirement without, you know, much stress. I mean, there's stress in any profession, but it, so I think that if that's what you want, if you and if you want to start this this fun parts of accounting, representing movie stars, and if you want to get into the music business, you get into music. There's all aspects of accounting besides simply doing tax returns. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot to be said about being a CPA. It's an honorable profession. Um, you can make a fair amount of money at it, um, and you you, um, you you just enjoy. It. You you, you, know, you, get, you don't have as much time off during the tax season, but you know you make after tax season you make you make your time. So I would recommend it. I also recommend, I spoke to a, a woman today in the classroom, a young lady from Chicago. I said, how'd you get out here? And she said that she was going to Old Dominion College. I believe it's in Virginia. Mm-hmm. And the classrooms were too large. She wasn't happy. And so she looked for a school that was where she could see, where she could be part of a smaller environment. Right. This is what Woodbury's been about for years. It shocked me that there are only... You know, so many people in the classroom, the same as when I went to Woodbury. That's so, great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was very surprised and de- delighted to see that because that was the thing that sold me on Woodbury. I have a, a you know, I, do you have interns? Do you guys No, have we do not. You do not. We don't. We're too small for interns. Okay. And interns would be, uh, we have like between 12 and 14 people in our I firm. See. Intern would for, be a 40-person firm mm-hmm. would want an intern because interns are, are important because they go there, they intern, and then maybe they get a job there afterwards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right. But we don't. We don't, we're too small for interns. And what percentage of your clients are personal, I mean, um, individuals and businesses versus businesses? Yeah, I, I would say that um, probably um, 60% uh, uh, individual 40% businesses. Because usually we do the people that own the businesses and their families. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And occasionally we have, you know, well-to-do clients that will do their, their individual return and we don't take care of their business because their business is taken care of by Price Waterhouse or some firm like that. Maybe this is, you can tell me to not, you can tell me to be quiet if I ask for asking this, but like, what is the, how does it work? How's the fee structure work? Sure. Like, what do you get? What percentage sure. do you get? Sure. We, we, we charge by the hour for everything. Oh, okay. okay. And so, so we, you're like a lawyer. Basically. Oh, I'm insulted. Yeah, you should be. <laughs> I mean, no, let me, let me, let me, let me give you the skinny on it. So 
I was telling the kids about this in the classroom. So if we we pay a salary to our employees, but we break the salary down to ourselves by hour. So if the salary came out to $50 an hour, we would charge somewhere between $150 and $200 an hour for their time. We have to pay the payroll taxes, the pension right. contribution, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And then we have to make money. Okay. So we mark it up three and a half to three and a half times, at least three and a half times of what we pay the person after broken down by the hour. So we charge by the hour and if we we're really fortunate, we can get 100% realization for all the time, but that doesn't work out that way. Clients complain. The kid didn't do a great job. We had to redo it. You know, th things aren't perfect. But mm -hmm. in our firm, we usually get about 90% realization, which is really good for a small accounting firm. So that's how it's broken down. And then you have to start collecting. You have to deal with collections. Yeah. And a lot of CPAs are embarrassed to call clients and ask for money. But the point is you have to because yeah. otherwise they're going to put your last. So it's part of being a business person besides being a CPA. You've got to be a business person. you got to learn mm -hmm. to be a business person. you got to call the client up and say, hey, you know, got to get paid. Right. What's the story? Right. Mm -hmm. What's going on? So, yeah. Well, everything, gosh, you shared so much. Is there anything that we missed? Is there anything else you'd like to share with our our audience, our, <laughs> our millions of you, listeners. You've, um, you know, you, you've, you've pretty much stripped away the bark on me. There's, not, there's nothing left. <laughs> there's nothing left. Well, thank you so much for coming in, We Lenny. really appreciate oh, it. You're welcome. Great this interview. has been great. This has been more than I expected. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you.